So um, I, I did want to reiterate on the fireworks stand, guys, we, we uh, want you to try to get out and work at one of our three stands. And again, for, for the financial reasons, all the stuff. But uh, also, I think it's a good way to do some things, a good way to connect. Well, thank you. You guys are thinking. Thank you. So um, th this is also, we've been talking about this because I, I, one of the things that you can do is specifically if you're older, retired, or something like that, um, you can go out during the weekdays when um, everybody else is working. And, uh, and you're not doing anything because you're retired. And so uh, it gives you an opportunity to go out and work and contribute to that. And we did add, this year we added missions to uh, the departments that can be worked for. Uh, we're, we're, we're kind of particular about making sure just our main departments do this, but we give thousands of dollars to missions every month, and that's not all um, uh, given by all of us and supported by all of us here. And so it's a, it's a way to kind of – for you to give by giving your time if you would like to, and, uh, and it'll go to missions and, and catch some of that up. And so uh, if you're thinking about that, there are sign-up lists out there. We definitely want to encourage you to do this. And two things that we, are, we want you to think about, because this is, this is what we're trying to actually focus on a little bit, more than just the money coming in for our departments, is uh, you go out and work at the fireworks stand, and you are almost guaranteed you're going to be working with somebody that you don't normally interact with. And it gives you an opportunity to see if they're a nice person or not. And, uh, and you can develop some relationships while you're out there. And then also we see this, and this is, this is very consistent with everybody that works out at the fireworks stand. They'll tell you that. Uh, you get opportunities to have conversations with people about the Lord. We have a sign that says that our fireworks stand, even though it's TNT, our fireworks stand is run by Church of Briargate, and uh, that always brings up conversation. In fact, um, a couple days ago, Lynn and I were out at a stand by herself, and <clears throat> she had a, a T-shirt on that said, um, dibs on the pastor. And I'm sitting off to the side, and this guy just kept looking at, at her shirt, and she said, and he said, is your husband the pastor? That's a legitimate question, is it not? Are you a weirdo, or is your husband the pastor? And she said, yeah, that's him sitting over there. And I was like, pastor. Well, then it gives you opportunity. You can have a conversation. You can talk about the church and uh, something like that. And that can lead to conversations about who Jesus is or inviting them to the church or something like that. So to, to think about that, be intentional. And um, for some of you um, people that are sitting home every day not doing anything because you're retired, um, just, just uh, take this as an opportunity to show up. So I didn't hear any amens there. Why are you guys? <laughs> Um, we have a we have a pr privilege this morning. It's a privilege more for me probably than um, than anybody else. But uh, we we always recognize when our staff uh, does these kind of things and when they get either license to preach ordination or something like that. And uh, we want to make a big deal about it because it is a big deal um, to to do all the studies and take the tests and do all the things and then become a uh, licensed minister without within our fellowship, the Assemblies of God. Uh, it's a little more special for me this morning because it's also my daughter. And, uh, and so, Emily, why don't you come up here? And <clears throat> she has received her license. And through the process, I found out that some more of you in this building have received your license, and you have not told me. 
So we want to uh, have you tell me so we can do that. But uh, she hadn't got her certificate yet, so I took my ordination off the wall, and I want her to hold this. That's not, a, that's not official for her because it's mine. And it's older than her, by the way. But, uh, but this is a big deal. This is um, something, and, and tr- trying to give you a little bit of background also, the fact that, um, that as uh, a female, she has license within our fellowship. This, this, there's an interesting thing that has happened. And within the last couple of years, this conversation has become uh, like a refreshed conversation uh, nationwide because of the stance that the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, took on uh, women cannot be um, in ministry in their context. I had never dealt with that. I, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God is very egalitarian. My grandmother was a, a minister, a pastor in this state in the 1940s. And so this is, we've always been this way as a fellowship. Uh, sometimes we swing one way or the other a little stronger, but We've always allowed uh, women in ministry. Allowed's not even the right word. The only thing that this piece of paper does for me, as ordained for me, is it ratifies something that God has called me to. People can't call you to something; only God can call you to something. And what we do when we have a ministry license and ordination for women is we are only ratifying, and acknowledging what God has called them to do. We are we very strong as a fellowship and very strong here in the church. A church of Bargate, we believe women can be a ministry. And I think scripture is very, very clear about that. And I, and I get people that constantly try to discuss that with me and debate that with me. And um, just so you know, I've made up my mind. I know what scripture says. A simple one, um, neither uh, Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female. Just start there. Um, and I always like to bring out the fact that uh, Mary... Uh, was the very first person to ever preach the gospel. Did you know that? She went to the tomb. She went back and told the disciples, Jesus is alive. That's the gospel. And she told the men. God didn't have a man tell people first. He had a woman tell people first. Just because he's cool that way. And so um, this is something that we acknowledge around here. But it is... I, I, until I went to Denver Seminary 20 years ago, I didn't know this was a thing. I'd always grown up in this and that women were ministers. And then all of a sudden, people are saying, no, women can't be ministers. We'll take $300,000 of your money for a degree, a divinity degree, but we won't let you be a pastor. Huh, how about that? So, um, so we do acknowledge this, and we know that this is a little bit more of an uphill climb for women than it is for men to get um, licensed or ordained within the Assemblies of God, so we want to acknowledge that and uh, what Emily has accomplished here. So, so give me my ordination back. <clears throat> so, uh, Emily, why don't you stand down front here and, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, it's a good idea. Kids, come up here. You get to, you get to surround her first. And then um, any adults that also want to come down here and pray for her, uh, we want this to happen. But this is this is the crew, and so they should have dibs, right? They should have dibs. So everybody stand with me if you would. And, and I wanted to throw this out here too, um, just to embarrass her. I did this in first service. She didn't know I was going to say this. But you may not think, okay, so is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Um, yes, this is a little, uh, this is a lot more information probably than she wants me to share. But she does go on some Christian dating sites to find her a husband. 
And you know what the number one conflict that she has on these Christian dating sites? I'm not making this up. There's a few little conflicts, and there's a whole lot. Almost every one of these guys are uncomfortable with her being a pastor because of their religious upbringing. And so, um, so we're going to pray against that, too. This woman needs a husband to move out of my house. And so... <laughs> So let's pray. God, I thank you for Emily. I thank you for just her call. Lord, um, you know, Lynn and I have seen this on her life for years, for years and years. And God, it's amazing to see this uh, recognized by others that um, she's also gone through the stuff and she's received her license through the assemblies. And that, that's, a, that's a big accomplishment. We want to acknowledge that. And, uh, Lord, we're proud of her as our children's pastor. We're proud of what she's doing here. And, uh, Lord, just continue to renew that call every single day that she's always looking forward to seeing the kids and never never uh, begrudgingly. God, we give you the glory for everything that she's doing and all the, the uh, growth and stuff that we've seen in our children's department. And so, Lord, we commit it to you, and we commit her to you and uh, even her dating life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes when you're a pastor and dad, you get privileges. So I also wanted to uh, mention something that's been in the news. A couple of things have been in the news this week. And, and it actually kind of, kind of, sort of, a little bit maybe uh, feeds into what I'm speaking about. But just looking across the, the country and then across the state of Colorado and some of the stuff that's happening. Um, one of the things that happened... So, so this last session, um, I... I uh, spoke against uh, bills that were trying to take away our Second Amendment rights, and um, and I, I tried to add amendments. I tried to do whatever I could. It didn't it didn't go far because there's so l- less of us than them. But one of these uh, one of these bills that I spoke against was um, was put forth by um, a Democrat that said every single gun needs to be registered, and we have these things called ghost guns. If you don't know what that is. You, the, the part of the gun, it's called the receiver, but the part of the gun that the bullet goes in, that part, you can order some of that online that's not completely finished. It hasn't been completely milled out, and, um, and it doesn't have a, a serial number because it hasn't been finished. So you can buy that, and you can mill it out, and you have a gun now that does not have a, a, um, a serial number on it. And I got up and debated against that, and I said, here's the thing with this is if I have guns or not, it's none of your business. I, I said this in the well. And if, uh, depending on if I have guns, what kind of guns I have, it's none of your business. It's not your business. It's not their business. It's nobody's business. The Second Amendment gives me a right to own a gun, to bear arms, specifically because of a potential uh, control by the government. That's the way the Constitution says it. That you are taking us, that this is, this is a protection against a tyrannical government. It's not for hunting and, and, and home protection and all that stuff. Those are, those are sidelines of it. So I debated this and I said the only reason that you would ever put a serial number on anything, much less a gun, is because you want to track it. That's the only reason it would ever come up that you have a serial number for something. Because you need to track it. 
And so the, 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 the debate was happening. I'm talking about this. I'm doing this kind of stuff. And then one of the, the Democrats got up. I think it was the sponsor of the bill got up and said, this is not, we don't have serial numbers to track guns. We, we don't register guns. Uh, there's no registry. There's none of this kind of stuff. You, you, owning a gun is completely private to you. There's never going to be a chance that we're ever going to come try to get guns or anything like this and just went into a whole spiel of all this stuff of how you're protected and all this. We just want serial number on there so that every gun has a serial number. So I get back up and I say, why do you want a number on my gun? Because the bill was make sure every gun has serial numbers, even antiques and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and I said, because someday you're going to try to come get our guns. And I was thinking five, ten years. And uh, this last week, a gun shop was raided by, how ironic is this, by armed IRS agents. IRS, these are tax collectors. These are people with pencils and glasses. And they got guns. And they're coming, and they're gonna, they and the ATF, and they raided the gun store and took all of the records for about 20 years' worth of records of everybody that owned guns and all the numbers that were serial numbers that were bought with that and everything. And now, when I go back to the house this next session, I'm explaining, I guess I was a prophet, but I didn't know how quick. Because, guys, this is egregious. Whether you like guns or not has nothing to do with this. If you say, I'm not a gun person, that's fine. Um, that, you, you have that freedom. You have that choice. But you do not have a First Amendment without the Second Amendment. You do not have freedom of speech without your ability to defend yourself from the government. Okay? This was a major, major thing in our country this, this week, and it kind of got brushed under the rug a little bit. But this is big. This is the first time we've ever seen this happen, at least in modern history. First time we've ever seen this happen. Another thing that happened... Um, this week that I think is extremely significant because it has to do with, I believe this has to do with end time events and how this looks. But um, Taiwan is a, uh, is a separate country than China. They separated and they've had their independence and they're not a communist country. They have a, a form of, of uh, republic, democracy kind of thing. And they've held strong against big bad China for a long time now. And, um, and there's always been this America, we, America, we back Taiwan. Right, um, that because they are a, a free people there, hovered over by um, CCP, and so this week, uh, one of the highest people in our government, Blinken, uh, who goes to represents uh, the the state of the country, uh, goes to China doing all this kind of stuff, and they and he was going to China, and they said you need to go through Taiwan because just going to China kind of kind of uh, snubs Taiwan, and we as, this was the Congress, we as the Americans, we believe in Taiwan's independence. And Blinken said, so he's taken the stance, he is, this is the stance of our government officially now. He said that we do not support an independent sovereign Taiwan. We do not support Taiwan as a nation. Now, why does this affect us? Because... This is basically the doors open now and China can invade Taiwan. Although we do support the Palestinians as a sovereign group of people on their land, which is a big lie 
that was a group of terrorists that moved to and, and impeded upon that because they were kicked out of all the other countries that wouldn't let them be a part. And they were a terrorist organization called the PLO. And they moved there. And then now, 50 years later, uh, now it's a sovereign nation because of squatters' rights or something. I don't know why we keep doing this. But that's, that's Israel's country. It's their land. And we're letting terrorists squat and calling them a country, but Taiwan, who's actually a country that, that pulled away from the communist control of China, we won't support them. This is, this is a very dangerous thing because what keeps China from invading Taiwan today? The only thing that kept them originally from doing that was us, and now we just said, ah, we don't, we're not in, it's not our business. Because this is setting us up for some world stuff going on very quickly. Always keep your eyes on Israel. Always keep your eyes on Scripture when it comes to what countries are doing. And China is a major, I believe, Scripture a major player in end time. So, so there. So in processing <clears throat> for, this, for this message this morning, I, um, I was thinking about this concept of choices. And really, so there's different views within theological ranks and one of, the, one of the representatives, a good friend of mine, turned out to be a very good friend. Um, we didn't know each other before we got elected, but uh, we carpool now regularly up to the Capitol and do all this kind of stuff. And it's a kindergraph. He was here a couple weeks ago and, and a good guy. We, we talk mostly about the Bible back and forth driving. We talk, I mean, we, sometimes we talk about bills and stuff like that, but that gets old. And so we, we talk about the Bible. And now he's Reformed, and we're Pentecostal. And so he knows I'm pulling him our direction, okay? I'm going to convince him reformed is not the way to go. It's not bad. It's a good Christian man. But uh, we joke about it a lot, and he thinks he can pull me toward reformed. But here's the thing. If you believe in predestination, then can you pull me to reformed? See, I believe in free will. I can pull you. All right, let that sink in. That's theological junk. So, so here's, the, here's the thing. We've talked about um, uh, predestination and what this means. And I believe in predestination in a macro sense. In other words, God's plan is going to happen no matter what people do. But whether God's plan for your life happens completely is upon your choice. 100% upon your choice. Think about this. If you say, well, I, no, I believe in predestination. In other words... I don't actually have free will. I don't make free choices. My life is basically orchestrated step by step by step. Here's the question I would have. Why do we have the New Testament then? If it's predestined for you to be saved or not, why do we have the New Testament? If, it's, if what decision you're going to make tomorrow is predestined by God, whether you're going to sin or not, why do we have the Scriptures telling us don't do this or do this? It's because you have choice. You have choice, I have choice. When Jesus says, go preach the gospel, that's a choice. Do I choose to accept and be obedient to that, or do I not? When he says, love your enemies, that's a choice. Yes, he has a plan, he has a will there, and he wants you to walk in his plan. But he's not going to make you walk in his plan. When he says, forgive those that have hurt you, that's a choice. And we all know this stuff. We know in an intuitive sense that there is free will, and we know it's constantly there all the time in our lives. But I don't think sometimes we process how much it, it really f affects us as we're walking through life, how many things can be different, how much stuff in your world could be different. Just because you took one job or didn't take another one. 
the direction of your life. Because, because you went out with that person you're married to or you didn't. Have you ever thought about that? I've thought about that a lot. It scares me sometimes. Because I can, I can show you major times when I was making big decisions that would have hindered Linda and I being married. And I don't want to be married to anybody but her. I don't, I don't even want to know what potential other options were. This is weird the way I'm saying this. But you understand what I'm saying. The choices that we make. That we're making choices constantly, 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 all day long. And they affect us. They affect us greatly. And we don't, we don't process this sometimes because, yeah, but I'm just going through my routine. I've had people just d- d- try to explain that to me. Yeah, you don't have a lot of choice every day. You get up, you go to work, you go home. You, you have choices every single second. For example, you don't have to get up and go to work. Yeah, I do. i got to pay the bill. No, that's a choice. Paying your bills is a choice. I can tell you from a lot of legislation that went through, it's a choice. You choose what you're going to do. The other day we were, we were coming up here. I don't usually eat breakfast. And we were coming up here to do all this rock gravel stuff for this fire pit over here because we were going to have our service Wednesday night, which we did. It was a lot of fun out there. So we had a lot of the finish up of all this kind of stuff. So I knew I was going to be uh, shoveling a bunch of rock, which I don't do normally. I don't usually spend time on the business end of a shovel. And so I thought, I better get something to eat. So my brother works at 7-Eleven near my house. So I pulled in there, and I was like, I'll just get a taquito or something. And, um, and, and I saw they had a jalapeno cream cheese taquito. By the way, very tasty. <laughs> I'm like, I need one of those. And then, and then I saw that they had um, a shredded beef taquito with cheese and onions in it. Mm, that's what I'm saying. I needed one of those. And then they had a taquito that is a hot dog inside. It's got hot dog, chili, cheese, onions inside a taquito. I don't even like hot dogs, and I thanked Jesus for it. And then about two hours later, I'm out here shoveling, and I'm like, oh. You know that feeling? Oh. And you just got to stand there for a few minutes. Drink some water. I hope that everything doesn't go crazy at a moment. Well, here's the thing is I made a decision. I made a choice. See, here's, a, here's some of the ways you need to process choice is there's individual choice. You have choice as an individual. And even though I'm a married individual and I am one with my wife, I did not consult her on this choice. In fact, I told her later and I said, man, I got some serious heartburn. She said, yeah, because you ate those things. I get that. And then afterwards, I also went to lunch at a Mexican restaurant because we had a meeting. But either way, I I made choices. I made a choice for me individually. You also make choices as couples. If you're married, you have couple choices. And a lot of your choices are actually couple. And you don't even realize this. The the decisions you're making individually, oftentimes, specifically the longer you've been married, you make these choices through the lens of of your spouse. Right? You know... You know what your spouse will like and not like or whatever the case is. I, I had this thing years ago where I was working on my Jeep all the time and I was online, Facebook and some other things. There's a bunch of Facebook Jeep places and I was on there buying parts and doing it because I love working on my Jeep and all this. And I would, I would buy a part and I would go online and I would say, well, I need this, um, this axle. Uh, don't tell Linda. And it was just a funny little thing that I would say. Linda doesn't know. She's not on there. She doesn't care. 
But I would say this, don't tell Linda. I would buy this, don't tell Linda. And pretty soon it became a joke. People started doing it because I was buying a lot of stuff. And, um, and one time I was on there and somebody bought a part. I'm not making this up. Somebody bought a part, said, I, I need this thing. Don't tell Linda. <laughs> I, I guess he thought this is what you're supposed to say. This is code or something. No, I really just didn't want you to tell Linda. So choices, couple choices. Then you make family choices, right? You make your choices as a family. As your, as your kids growing up, a lot of your decisions become based upon your children. Then, and, and that even happens as your children are older. Uh, we make decisions, Lynn and I make decisions a lot as to when, when can we connect with our kids. When can we go to dinner or do something like that. And so we're making choices. You make choices according to your workplace. That all these choices have an effect on who you are and what you're doing and where you're going and all this kind of stuff. You say, no, I just get up and go to work every day and come home. No, it's not, it's not that simple. What about all the relationships at work? The choices, the, the language, the stuff you're saying, the interaction, all these different things, you're, you're making choices, constantly making choices. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. This is, we have the big moment crossroads, right? You can name a lot of those in your life. The longer you live, the, the more you have the big crossroads. When you're younger, you don't have as many big crossroads. But, uh, you know, where, what job am I going to take? Who am I going to marry? What's, what, um, am I going to go to university or not? What am I going to, I mean, these are big crossroad kind of things. Do I, do I become... Do I do this for life? Which, by the way, when a, when a 20-year-old decides I'm going to be this for life, it's, it's still so ambiguous. You can change. I know people that are 50 years old and say, you know, I think I want to do something different with my life. It's scary sometimes, but it's, do, it's actually a doable thing. Okay? But th- those are big crossroads. Then you have a lot of the little just daily decisions, but they're also crossroads. Do I make this decision? Do I not make this decision? Do I do this? Do I not? Um, they can affect you in so many ways you'll never know. But decisions. He said, stop at the crossroads and look around. Now, the fact that the Lord is saying it to us means that it obviously has spiritual um, understanding that we need to, to know. We need to connect with this on a spiritual level, not just um, should you have eaten that taquito that day. I mean, that's... It turned out to be a decision of spirituality because I was talking to the Lord about it later, but it didn't start as a spiritual decision, right? Later on when you're saying, oh, Jesus, you know, th- now it's spiritual. But for the most part, this is, this is physical stuff. But the Lord is talking spiritually here, guys, and this is important for us. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Now I remember being in church as a kid and, I, and, and hearing this type of language where people were misusing this mentality. When they would say, uh, well, we need, to look, we need to go back to the old ways. Most of the time they meant 20 years before. Right? Whatever the old ways are, 20 years before that or 30 years, or the way my grandparents did it or whatever. That's not what the Lord's talking about. He, this is Old Testament even. This isn't, this isn't even New Testament saying this. This is God saying, you know what I've told you to do. Go back to the old ways of what I told you to do, the godly ways. 
Silly things like the Ten Commandments. Those really are real. They really have importance in our life. No matter how silly society thinks, those are the things that God wants to do. You listen to his laws. Be obedient to what he says. And then Paul says some of the exact same stuff to Timothy when he's talking to Timothy about being in ministry and stuff. He said, Timothy, don't forget the way you were raised. Now, Timothy was not raised on the New Testament. How do we know that? He's in the New Testament. So he couldn't have been raised on the, in the New Testament. He was raised in the Old Testament. And Paul is saying, remember what you were taught. Now, some of this, yes, was, was some of um, Luke in theology and Pauline theology. So, yes, there was some New Testament mentalities, I'm sure, that Timothy was taught. He had to have been. But for the most part, he's talking about the Old Testament. Right? He's saying, Timothy, pay attention. As Jeremiah is saying here that the Lord is telling us, ask for the old godly way and walk in it. God's word is always going to be played by people, spun as archaic, out of date, whatever. It's always going to be that way. Every generation, it's always going to be that way. I remember being a kid in the 70s and, and watching. This is coming out of the 60s, and our country was changing very, very quickly at that point. I didn't understand that as a kid. But when somebody would, would want to be doing something wrong, immoral, edgy, or whatever, they would say, hey, come on. And I remember it more in the 80s because I was a teenager by then. But they would say, hey, come on, it's the 80s. Get with it. Right? In other words, whatever immoral, the immoral action you want to do, well, we're free to do that now because it's the 80s. And it's weird to me now because we were not near as immoral as a country as we are now. And then I remember people saying, oh, come on, it's the 90s. It's the 2000s, 2010s, 2020s. What does that mean? It means nothing. It just means I want to do something that, that I know is wrong, and society is also saying it's wrong for the most part. We justify it. It's just this is what I want to do. The old godly way, travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. I talked about this some Wednesday night out of Proverbs 2, that without, without godly wisdom, there, there is no honesty. Honesty comes from God's truth. It even talked about um, common sense in the scripture there. It says that wisdom brings us common sense. God's word brings us common sense, brings us honesty. But you know what also it does? It brings us rest for our souls. This is one of the easiest things I believe nowadays that you can use as, a, as an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. Do they have peace in their soul, rest in their soul? This is one of the things that our country at large has lost. You say, well, how, how do you know that? Suicide rates are going through the roof in every category, wherever you look. Schools, military, anything. Suicide is going through the roof. Why? We don't have peace in our soul. There's no peace. There's turmoil. There's confusion. There's all this other stuff. There's not peace. I, I, I just saw this yesterday. It just kind of caught me because I already knew my message. But somebody had taken a picture of Kurt Cobain. He was the uh, lead singer and guitarist in Nirvana. And um, he was sitting in a corner, and he was crying. They had had a, a practice session, and he went ballistic in the practice session and tore the, the studio up with his guitar. 
just slammed it against everything, tore his guitar up. Then went and sat in a corner and was crying, and somebody took a picture of that. This is one of those things that is always just, I found, morbidly fascinating, is all of these rock stars that become, finally get everything that they want. They get the fame. They get the, the, there's a difference between playing in some little tiny club with your acoustic hooked into nothing and then playing in arenas where you sound like you want to sound. There's a lot of difference there. They finally get everything. They get the contracts. They get the money. They get everything that they think they wanted, and then they kill themselves. And that's basically what Kurt Cobain did. And I've always wondered about that. But it's because in here, there's no peace. Out here, they may have accomplished everything that they theoretically are supposed to accomplish within that genre. But in here, no peace. No, as he says, no rest for our souls. Why? Because the only place you get that is following God. When you submit to God, the rest for your soul begins to happen. And, and almost every one of you in here could probably give a, a testimony of when that moment began for you. You know, we call it salvation. The moment that I said, Jesus, you're in charge, and forgive me, and the, and the weight he takes off and the joy he brings and the peace he brings into your spirit. may not be anything that anybody else can tell, for the most part, but you know the difference. He replied, um, Jesus says, the Lord says, but you reply, no, that's not the road I want. Now, the road he, that he's talking about is the old godly way. No, that's not the road I want. But it's interesting that the sentence before it is finding rest for your souls, and that's actually what they're not getting. They're saying, no, I don't want to follow God's plans, but no rest for your soul is what you get in the process. I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. I I really believe this is a major part of my spiritual job description or calling as a pastor is to be a watchman and to say the stuff that um, sometimes is difficult to say. I believe that's my job. I believe I'm supposed to talk about sin. I believe I'm supposed to talk about the stuff that Satan is trying to do against us and all these different things in the battle and all this stuff, end time events. All, I think I'm supposed to. He says, I posted a watchman over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention. That's huge. I see this more in, in political concepts now than I ever saw it. Well, long term as a pastor, I've seen it forever. But real blatant, I've seen it very strongly in political concepts where you, you get up and you say, no, this is what truth is, and you can give details, you can explain things, you know, stuff, and people will just say, nope. I, I don't accept that. Nope. I will not listen. I won't pay attention. In fact, there's a, there's a handful of um, Democrats when I get up to speak at the Capitol that um, I, I never noticed it. My wife's the one who told me, or my daughter, I think, told me about it. Because they watch and they pay attention to some of this stuff. But, and it doesn't bother me. In fact, I, I think it's interesting. But um, when I get up to speak, they'll turn their back on me, turn their chair around and face the back of the house. That's like the worst thing you can do. That's the biggest attack that somebody can do to you, supposedly. I'm like, I've had people while I'm preaching in church fall asleep and snore. So you're not, you are not bothering me with this. 
It doesn't bother me at all. And the fact that they're turned around means they paid attention at least the fact that I'm speaking. They were that aware. Yeah. Therefore, listen to this, all you nations. Take note of my people's situation. Listen, all the earth. This is what the Lord says to us, and this is where it's important for us to pay attention to this stuff. He says, I will bring disaster on my people. I know a lot of preachers, teachers, and stuff like that that don't believe this stuff anymore. They don't believe that God does this stuff anymore. Okay? I remember when Pat Robertson, he just recently passed away the last few weeks. But I remember right after 9-11, he gave this um, sermon talking about could this be judgment on America. And he gave all these scriptures that looked exactly like it. And how much of the church world said, no, God doesn't do that and don't blame that stuff on God. Well, I don't know if God was judging us as a country or not with 9-11. But just to blatantly say he doesn't do that, that's not scriptural. God does do this stuff. He does hold us accountable. He does judge us. He is going to judge everybody at the, at the throne of judgment in the future. Every one of us. And I believe he judges countries and nations just like he used to. We have taught ourselves that this stuff is not really, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just coincidence. But you know, your insurance company still calls these things acts of God. You know that? Which ones are God or not? Was the last hailstorm God or not? That's not what I'm saying. I don't know the answer to that question. But just to say God doesn't do this anymore, mm, that's not true. God, it is very clear in Scripture that God does this stuff. He says, I will bring disaster on my people. Why? Because it is the fruit of their own schemes. They have asked this upon their self. I, I, I've had this conversation a handful of times over the last year or so. But talking about um, uh, Biden being president, and, um, and then somewhere in the process, somebody's going to bring up whether or not the uh, election was stolen or whatever the case is. Okay. So regardless of whether you like Biden or like Trump or believe the election was stolen, I I'll tell you how I think. I like Trump. I will vote for him again. And I think the election was rigged and stolen. It was very corrupt. And statistically, by the way, over 70% of our country believes that our elections are broken and corrupt. Okay, now, with all that said, put your personal pol political stance on any of this stuff aside and just look at the fact that Biden is president. According to Scripture, I still believe Scripture. According to Scripture, God put him there. It's what the Bible says. I, it's not, I, I've really talked to God about this, and I've asked him for the ability to you know, kind of take over the world and run it for a little while because it looks like God's making some big mistakes, from my opinion. Uh, one of them, our president. So, but interestingly, the Bible says God put him there. We, so you say, okay, well, what if the election was rigged or stolen? Well, apparently God allowed that. What if it wasn't supposed to be? Well, nothing corrupt is supposed to be corrupt. God didn't plan corruption God didn't plan that stuff, but let's go back to when Saul became king. God told the Israelites over and over, you don't need a king. You got me. You don't need a king. And they kept begging, but everybody else has kings. And then finally, God said, okay, this is what a king will do for you. He gave them a whole list of stuff. And they said, that's okay. We want a king. And, and, and then he finally told Samuel, he said, look, they're rejecting you. They're not rejecting, I mean, they're rejecting me, not rejecting you. I'm going to give them a king. In other words, God gave them what they wanted even though it wasn't his plan because they begged for it so much. 
That's why many world leaders are put into positions. I believe the reason that we have the president we have is because our country has been broken and corrupt for a long time. We've been asking for this. We, we sell it. Somebody, somebody asked me this. Well, the, the church wouldn't want Biden there. Okay, let, let me break this down because it's going to be a little difficult here. I believe that Biden was paid money by China for a lot of stuff, and so was his son. We know for sure his son was because that's all come out now. And, and he, I think he was arrested for stealing a popsicle or something. I don't know. But we know he sold secrets to China. It's on the record. I believe Biden did too. You say, well, why would we have a president like that? Well, I believe the church sold out a long time ago. I believe the church sold its soul to making sure we have people in buildings and we have money in the offerings and that the people of community like us rather than we're preaching truth. So isn't that what our our president is? Think about what I'm saying. We've asked for this. We've asked for this, begged for it as a country. You say, well, I haven't begged for it. Neither have I. I don't want this stuff. I don't want this stuff. So what do we do? We're just one small church in the middle of all this stuff. We're not even a, 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 a fraction of a percentage of the church. And I'm saying the real church, not just the people that call themselves a church. What do we do? Can we change something? Can we do something? Just read through the stories in Scripture and how many times an individual changed the entire story. One individual changed the world. One individual. We've got a lot more than one individual just within this room. And there are churches all over Springs that we're seeing this happen where they're starting to kind of wake up and some people are having some conversations and and it's, it's baby steps, and they're not doing it the way I think they should. But they're changing, and they're seeing God do some things, and they're changing their mindset about what is happening to our country. Make the change. You make the change. I'll do the best I can to change. You do the best you can to change, and it's amazing what God can do with that. And then more of us, and then more of us, and then more of us. Trust God that he can do some pretty big, amazing things. I want to show you a video here in a second, but I was thinking about this with, with all the stuff that's going on in our country with, uh, like, the Bud Light stuff. And I, I think the average Christian in our society thinks that we've already lost the fight and let's just give up because, well, I guess everybody is part of the LGBT mentality. I guess everybody believes in abortion. I guess everybody. Well, no, they don't. Who would have thought Bud Light would have been the, the, the hinge pin? I never would have thought about it, but it, it kind of makes sense. There's a, there, you're messing with a large group of rednecks that are very, very much in favor of this, and then people are fighters. My son tells me, he lives in South Texas, he tells me all the time, Dad, I'm a redneck. I'm like, I don't even know for sure what that means, son. But, but think about the whole Bud Light thing and the Target thing. People actually can make a difference if you say something, if you stand up, if you make a, if you make a stand, take a stand on something. You'd be surprised at what you can do. Walmart, Walmart's gone the same direction. Guys, we're even seeing, I know I'm about to step on a lot of toes, toes in here on this one. Chick-fil-A has now has a diversity, equity, and inclusion department, 
and hired a vice president for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I don't know how long it's going to take for your chicken to be tainted, but it's, uh, we're heading down the road. This is no longer going to be Jesus' chicken anymore. I don't know who's it's going to be. I've never been a fan of Chick-fil-A because I don't like chicken. But I like their model. I like their business. I like their company. And I've even eaten Chick-fil-A just for that reason. The whole time. <laughs> no, I don't dislike chicken that much. But the guys, we have this. You know, I saw this interestingly. My wife showed this to me. Starbucks came out last week and, and, or two weeks ago and said, um, made, it, made a policy across their entire company that they will display no pride flags and they will take no stances on LGBT. This is Starbucks, one of the most liberal companies. In it. But why? It has nothing to do with, it hasn't to do with, with um, uh, principles or any of that stuff. It has to do with their bottom line of dollars. They've had major lawsuits in the last three or four years to the tune of $20, $30, $40 million. And so now all of a sudden, we don't have the, the financial capital to make bad business decisions like Bud Light has made. Those are bad business decisions because you're stomping on people's principles in the process. Right? Starbucks is not a moral company all of a sudden. But why am I saying that? Because you can affect change. You can affect it at macro levels like Target or Bud Light, or you can affect it at micro levels of just taking a stand in your daily process of life. That I'm going to go to the old godly ways and live there. That's going to be my decision. So I want to show you this video clip because this was kind of a B movie when it first came out, and then it became one of the most popular movies of all time with, with huge, huge cult followings. But the, the movie is actually the story of Jesus Christ if you really pay attention to the movie. And sometimes Hollywood stumbles onto these things. But this is the message of D Jesus Christ. And this is the moment in the middle that this has become iconic across the world for the moment you make a decision. How do you make the decision and when do you make the decision? So let's look at this video clip of The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. 
and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Offering is the truth, nothing more. Follow me. How about that for a defining statement? All I'm offering you is the truth, nothing more. You can decide to live in your lie, stay there, create your own lie. Our whole country's doing this right now. Create your own lie. Create whatever you want. Well, I was born a boy, but now I'm a girl, but now I'm a... I saw the other day where this, this guy is, um, I think it was the Bud Light guy, but he's a guy that wants to be a girl, but now he says he's a lesbian. Doesn't that just mean you're a dude? <laughs> I mean, am I the one that got lost in the train of thought there? It's, it's weird what we can do, but this is my story. It's my story. We talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. Well, what if somebody comes to you and says, well, this is my truth? You can't create truth. You're not the originator of truth. God is. And if it's God's truth, it's truth. If it's not, it's not. Just because you say what I believe is truth, those are not the same thing. You can say what I believe, but you can't call it truth. I mean, you can call it truth, but that doesn't make it truth. It doesn't make it true. Just because you say it doesn't make it true. So somewhere along the line, you have to make a decision. What do I, I'm at the crossroads. What do I do? Our country's at a crossroads. What are we going to do? We are starting to see, I've, I've read a bunch of stuff about this, and I started seeing this actually myself personally, but our country is starting to really push back. Up until about the last two years, we have just kind of gone along with this, but our country is really starting to push back on this transgender stuff, and specifically with children. We're seeing this across the board. Well, this is important. Why? Because it, it's extremely destructive and will t and destroy an entire generation if we're not careful. That, that we're grooming these kids and then we're offering these surgeries and these hormonal therapies and all that stuff. Guys, that's, that's demonic, it's dangerous, and we have to stand for truth. And, and when you're, when you're even my, um, my daughter-in-law and son-in-law, son and daughter-in-law, when they are talking to their children, they, they had this little thing and, and our granddaughter was telling us this while we're in Texas. She was talking about her little brother and she said, yeah, he's a boy and he's always going to be a boy. He said that at, he just turned three. And I thought, way to go, parents. Teach your kids. No, you're always going to be a boy. You're always going to be a girl. Well, I choose it. You can choose anything you want, but you're always going to be a boy. You're always going to be a girl. Why? That's how God made you, and that's the reason it's attacked. It's not just, well, are these decisions we can make? No, it's because God created you. God made you. Don't let Satan take you down a different trail. God made you. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. It should be life-saving. It should be necessity. 
for those heading to destruction. The, you know, the life preserved kind of thing. But it's not. It becomes foolish. They, th- they think it's crazy. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. You have this moment. You have this revelation. Somebody talks to you. Somebody shows you scripture. The Holy Spirit um, empowers that. And all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, maybe this whole story of the cross is true. It says, I will, as scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Some of the debates that we have in our country now are so stupid. Everybody's sitting, these are at the national level where congressmen, I, I, I watched, um, well, Senator Ted Cruz was asking this lady, so you believe that there's multiple um, sexes? And she kept saying, well, there's lots of genders. He said, no, biological. There's male, female. And, and she just never would go there. This is the intelligence of the intelligent. So where did this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, you cannot get here completely by cognitive reasoning. And this is where some people struggle in their pursuit of God is they have to be able to rationalize it all or they can't embrace it. But God specifically says, I'm making it so that you have to have faith. You cannot get there completely cognitively. You can't rationally decide this. You have to, you have to believe. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs of heaven, from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Right? That's the two concepts there, only spiritual or only rational. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You say, well, who are called? Because this is where like that predestination thing comes in. Who are called? Well, according to Peter, Jesus is not willing that anybody should perish. That Jesus died for everyone. So that's who's called. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God's doing this every day, all day long. Just because we don't always see it, and we don't see it like our highest levels of government and stuff like that, doesn't mean it's not happening. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. We're having daily, daily we're having uh, things come from the CDC and the WHO and everywhere else showing how this whole pandemic thing shouldn't have happened, that uh, COVID was not as dangerous as they thought, that the vaccine is actually more dangerous than the COVID ever was, all this other kind of stuff. These are daily reports coming out by the people that were saying the opposite three years ago. Daily, daily, daily. Why? Because you can only live the lie so long until God brings it crashing down. That's just reality. By the way, in your personal life, if you think you're hiding your sin, you can only live the lie so long before the Lord brings it crashing down. You better be careful if you're playing the games with God. Because God doesn't play the games. 
He has a plan for you, but it includes you surrendering him, submitting to him, and truly living a godly lifestyle, following the old godly ways. That's his plan. If you try to do it any other way, it's going to be a problem. It's going to cause you problems and everybody around you. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. This is not a, you, you have nothing to boast about. Well, I'm smart. Well, God gave you that. Well, I've got good health. Okay, God gave you that. Well, I, I can do this job well. Okay, but God gave you that. You, don't, you can't boast in anything. Everything is from God. When we get to that place, I, we use this term differently. This is where I use the term, and yes, it's improperly used. But this is the way I use it. When you get to that singularity, that's the way I like to use it, which means it's just you and God, and he's the creator of everything. When you get there, when you're submitted to him, it's amazing what he can do in your life. And by the way, that's a life struggle. That's not, uh, I finally got there. You never get to the end of that. But you can always be pursuing that a little closer, a little more, a little more of the Lord. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Because that's the greatest thing you can ever have, is freed from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? I, I wrote some things down for me. And, and, um, and I don't want to do this alone, so you get to be a part of this. I, I wrote this down. I do not have the luxury of apathy or casual Christianity. I think we used to think we did. Well, we did. The church has thought for a long time that, we, that we've had the luxury. Maybe not actively thought this, but passively at least acted like it, is we have the luxury of apathy. We don't have to be that committed. We don't have to be that sold out. This is, one of the, this is one of the concepts by some, not all, but this is by the concept of some megachurches is come enjoy the show. You don't have to get involved. Come enjoy the show. Well, that's not scripture. You've got to get involved. Megachurches aren't bad within themselves, but the ones that are doing what God has said is, is pushing people into getting involved in the, in the work of the kingdom, which might include the work of that church. We don't have the luxury of apathy we're losing our country, we're losing our families, we're losing our kids. We don't have the luxury of apathy. Another thing is I'm going to be held accountable for my choices. Which choices? All of them. I'm going to be held accountable for my choices. Now, I don't think God gave me life-changing heartburn because I ate those three taquitos before I worked. But God does have natural laws in place that do hold us accountable. Do you know that? They're all through Scripture. And I made a bad decision. Guys, I'm going to be held accountable for my decisions as a pastor, as a husband, as a, as a father, as a, as a representative. I'll be held accountable for my decisions as a neighbor. And so my response to this is I choose Jesus. I choose the old godly path. I choose scripture. I choose God. I choose his word, his plan. Let's pray. God, we thank you for you. Lord, we thank you because you do you do have a plan for us. You have a plan for me. You have a plan for every single person in this room. 
Lord, and you're wanting us to make our decisions based on you, not on us. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of the mentality that says I can make a better choice than you. God, I ask you to guide, guide my life, my thoughts, my steps. And I want to belong to you. Lord, I want to choose you. I don't want to choose to have my head buried in the sand and pretend like I'm the one making all the rules. Lord, I want to, I want to choose the path that leads me to you. I choose the godly path. Kind of pray that over this whole room. That every one of us, that we could, we could make that decision right now. I choose you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean. Cover me with your blood and make me right with God. Wash me clean of the thoughts, the attitudes that, that are always there trying to convince me my way's better. Jesus, I will not, I will not say no to what you're telling me. I want to hear it. I want to live it. So Lord, forgive me. Make me right with God. Forgive me with your blood and protect me from Satan. Cover me with your blood and guide my life. In Jesus' name. Just tell him in your own words and Maybe out loud if you can, but just telling, Lord Jesus, I choose you. I choose you. For the decisions you know that are coming up this week, make a decision now. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you. So, Lord, when we get to the moment, we've already chosen you. We've already built up our, our wall that says, I belong to Jesus, and I'm not going to cross that into whatever Satan wants me to do. I choose you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this. God, I pray for every one of us in this room that as we go through our, our week this week, that you, we have all these different choices, but Lord, that you will, that you will highlight some of these and, and make them very real and revealed to us that we recognize, hey, this is a crossroads. This is a choice. I can make this choice. I can choose the cross or I can choose some other option choose God's path or choose some other option. God, reveal that to us. Make it very clear different moments throughout this week that you just bring it to our attention right then. This is a, this is a crossroads. This is a moment. And then God, I pray for every one of us in here. We're going to make the right decision. We're going to make the right decision. We're going to choose you. We declare it right now. We're going to choose you. In the name of Jesus. Don't forget to uh, go work at the fireworks stands. And um, I think you'll enjoy it. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity. God's going to make sure that you see the opportunity. 
that you have to tell somebody about Jesus, that you have that opportunity. Take it. Do the best you can. Whatever you've got there, just take it. And God will honor that in your life, I believe, very strongly. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how glad you are that they are here, even if you have to make it up. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.